Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you are leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone or you don't feel like you should weigh that, put that weight on your inner circle, call the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. It's the underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, our great guests. Our next guest is the director of Humanitarian Organization popular speaker and the author of two books. Her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. Her second book, Love Is, chronicles her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love, a sometimes funny, sometimes scary, always enlightening journey that has led to a life-changing discoveries found mostly on the streets of Haiti. So without further ado, let's welcome author, speaker, lover of people, and Black Licorice, Kim Sorrell. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So great to be with you guys. Oh, it's great to have you here. I'm glad we're able to connect. And I forgot to introduce uh, co-host Sam is on <laughs> today. And Sam, go ahead. You can give yourself an introduction, too. Oh, me. Jesus, you didn't prepare <laughs> me for that, Rich. Uh, hi, guys. I'm Sam. Um, hopefully, you'll be seeing me a little bit more when I can. Uh full-time mom here so I got a bunch of kiddos running around so hopefully we don't hear any screaming or crying in the background <laughs> I'm sure that'll be fine Kim I just yeah. gave a quick blurb of you if you don't mind give us a little more about your background from as far back as you want to go to how we got here and of course tell us about black licorice <laughs> okay yeah sure <laughs> well my dad was in the navy he not not for a career he wasn't in um for that long but those were his glory years. Those were some of his best years. And uh, so thank you for your service. I appreciate everyone who has served uh, so much. And anyway, so I was going to be the first woman president of the United States and instead met this tall, dark, <laughs> handsome man, fell deeply in love. Ten days after I met him, I asked him to marry me and he said yes. And I say tall because my mother married a short man and I was determined I wasn't going to be with anybody under six foot tall to give my kids a fighting chance. 
<laughs> I started my first business right out of high school, been in business ever since on um, all kinds of different businesses um, throughout the years. And then, uh, yeah, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then four months later, my husband was and died six weeks later. And it made me question love. And that's where I'm at today. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry about your husband, of course. Uh, but I, I know th through his journey, you have uh, built your love base from there. and. Uh, on the quest to find out exactly what love is for everyone else in the world. And that's why you wrote the two books. And how did you wind up in Haiti? Well, after my husband died, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. If I was going to go uh, back into one of my businesses, I had people running them, or if I was going to go back and run the nonprofit I was running, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. It's this whole new life, 47 years old. And not what I planned, right? I mean, you plan on growing old together and here I was not a plan for my life. And so uh, I decided to become part-time bookkeeper for a nonprofit. And then 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. And so I went from part-time bookkeeper to 24 seven. And within a couple of weeks, I was in Haiti. And uh, for the next several years, I was in Haiti part of every month. Wow. Yeah. Good on you for humanitarianism and uh, staying down there throughout the whole process. I know a lot of people went down right at the beginning to be on TV and then they disappeared into the darkness after the initial, just like every disaster, you see the, all the big names when the disaster strikes and then after they don't tell you anything that's happening. So good on you for staying down there with them. Yeah, well, it's, um, I love Haiti. It's a, it's a place that gets under your skin, into your blood and Wonderful people in real tough conditions. Definitely. That was supposed to be my first deployment in 1994. And uh, they were having all the insurrection there and stuff. And I was put on a boat and I was cleaning my weapon, ready to go in there and, and clean up Haiti for them. And Jimmy Carter and Jesse Jackson ruined that for me. So I had to wait a few years until after 9-11 to go to war. Mm. Wow. Wow. It would have been quite an experience to go in then. Yeah, it would have been real weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So as you uh, you go back and forth, uh, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, different uh, levels of relationships in Haiti, of course, that uh, they go through a lot of uh, waves in Haiti through the political climate and corruption. And then, of course, they're an island that's uh, in the middle of the, the Caribbean area there. So they get hurricanes, they get the earthquakes. You have to see a lot of ebbs and flows there. How do you uh, adjust to all that for them and with them as you're down there? Well, unfortunately, it's not so much ebbs and flows. It's more ebbs than it is flows. Uh, Haiti is a tough place. It's the, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It is a place where I think the average person makes $2 a day. Wow. And a gallon of milk, if you buy it in the store, is like $7. And wow. so you can imagine how tough it is to live there. Um, it's just really hard. And... Uh, one thing that I, I think is interesting is people tend to equate poverty with laziness and the opposite is true. I mean, it, it's not about being lazy. It's about a lack of opportunity. If there was opportunity, if there were jobs, if there was opportunity to, to do stuff, people would be doing it. So people do what they can to survive and feed their kids, feed their family, have a roof over their heads. It's, it's just not easy. And so, um, Haiti needs a break. Haiti needs help, needs a break. 
And with you going to Haiti, you know, how did that influence you with, um, to say what, where your books came from, you say your journey of finding what love is, how, how did that help you come to, you know, um, that decision to make the books and to find that journey? How did Haiti help you through that? Because I'm sure just like you said, seeing people not having anything, you know, but still finding, you know, ways to make their families work and to love each other. I'm sure that was very instrumental and, you know, hard. You don't really see that in America a lot. You know, when people have nothing, you still have that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Haiti was an interesting place to take this journey that I decided to take for, for sure. Uh, it certainly added an element of something, whatever it was, a lot of things, I guess. But uh, when I decided to do this year, um, I decided I was going to use this ancient poem, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. You hear it at a lot of weddings, your eyes kind of glaze over because you hear it so much. <laughs> but I thought, well, I'll use that as a roadmap and figure out what is love that is kind? What is love that is patient? And I would take one word a month and figure it out. And first thing I figured out is there's 14 is an instance of love. So I did the math and it wasn't gonna quite work in a year. So it took me a bit longer than a year at one a month. But uh, I started each chapter. This was a journey, by the way, that I was gonna go on, whether I ever told a soul about it if I wrote a book about it, if the book got published, I needed to do it for me. I needed to do it for me. And so uh, I start each chapter with what I think it's going to be, you know, because a lot of it seems so simple. Love is patient. We know what patience is, right? So I, I talk about what I think it's going to be. And then the story, whatever it is that happens to me in Haiti, or I make happen in Haiti, unfortunately, some of the things are my own to my own demise. Um, I tell the story of the what happened when I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I had to sleep outside with tarantulas and snakes. I got lost on a mountain. I mean, just crazy stuff happened. And it's like I had to get hit over the head by the end of the month as I'm scrambling to figure it out. Um, I had to get hit over the head with something and go, ah, now I get it. Now I understand. <laughs> I feel like I... I can relate to that as, you know, even just falling in love in general, it kind of feels like that sometimes it's like you said, you're kind of trying to figure out, um, like you said, what love is. Um, so in what surprised you the most about this journey that you went on? Cause I just think, I think that's awesome that you did that for and dedicated that whole year. So what surprised you the most through the whole entire journey? Well, one thing that really surprised me is that I was able to do it. I have a hard time going to a restaurant and committing to an entree, let alone committing to a year of doing something. So, you know, that was kind of a surprise for me. But uh, the thing that was so surprising is that love was not what I thought it is. I, not what I've been taught. That, you know, we learn love from our parents, from our grandparents, whoever, the people that influence us in life. And not everything done in the name of love or said in the name of love is love. And to find out what love really was just was earth shattering. It changed my life, changed the way I look at people, the way I look at myself, the way I look at the world. And uh, so um, there are myths about love, things that we 
that are sort of common beliefs about love. You know, like Sam, you talk about falling in love, right? So you find your person, you fall in love, you know, whatever. And, um, and then you get married and, but before then you might do some counseling and, and they'll say, oh, well, love's a two-way street. And, you know, they'll put a number on it, right? <laughs> it's got to be 50-50. It's got to be 100-100. Well, neither one of those things are true. There, there's no number to love. And it's not a two-way street. It is a one-way street. Love is not a transaction. If I give you money and you give me a pair of jeans, that's a transaction. <laughs> if I give you love to get love, that's a transaction. Love doesn't do that. You give love, period, because because you have no control over anybody else. You just give love. It's up to you to give love, no matter if you get it back or not, without any expectation of getting it back. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting, I think for me personally, you're hitting the nail on the head because, you know, it took me a, a long time to kind of figure that out. It's like you said, you know, coming from harder backgrounds, divorced parents, never really seeing good examples, you know, it, it does take a lot to figure that out. And, um, you know, for me personally, you know, I was doing the, the five love languages and, you know, kind of like you said, just trying to really figure out what it means. Um, so what's a good story that you have that kind of brought you a new understanding of love? Do you have any good, I'm sure you have so many stories that you could tell us. We could probably sit here for hours. But what's what's one of your favorite ones that pops in your head? Uh, well, one of the ones I was dreading was <laughs> love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I was dreading it because, <laughs> you know, we might forgive people, but we don't forget the things that happen to us. Right. It's not like you say, oh, I forgive you. And then your memory is wiped away. Right. Right. And so I was working on it that month and coming up with nothing. And. And then I got a phone call from a man in the U.S. who wanted to see this water project that I'd been working on in Haiti. And so he wanted me to show him. So he brought over seven other guys. So eight guys from the U.S. And then two of my Haitian friends who also happened to be men joined us to translate. And they knew the water project inside and out. And we drove out to the countryside. And we got to where we were staying. And there was just a little building with two rooms and each room had four twin size beds, eight American men, two Haitian men, me. So the math, but yeah. we brought two cots and we brought an air mattress and there was some room in the rooms. We could move stuff around. So I'm thinking we're okay. No big deal. You make do. Well, the head of the American men said, Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, there is nothing else to see. I mean, this yeah. is a little building. I don't know. Yeah, I saw the rooms. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because he, he's going to think that I want my own room. So I'll sleep. Well, I, I would say, well, it's OK. I'll sleep outside. And then he'll say, well, no, if anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in the room. And he'll go, great, because there's only so much space. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good. Because we've got men on this trip that would not be comfortable with a woman in their room. Haiti is hot. It is hot in Haiti. You go into the room to sleep. That is the only reason you go into the room. What can possibly happen 
after you fall asleep. I mean, I wear pajamas to bed. I had no idea what where this guy was coming from, but I kind of put my foot in it, right? Like I said, I was going to do it. So I had to do it. So I looked around and I saw this piece of plywood that was held up by, you know, some wooden structure of some sort. I thought, well, if I sleep under there, at least if it rains, I won't get rained on. But I got to tell you, I was scared to death because there are snakes and there are tarantulas and chupacabras or whatever it is that is lurking in the bushes <laughs> of Haiti. And so I was so afraid that I would be dismembered or poisoned or, you know, did Haiti have the anti-venom to whatever was going to bite me in the night? Or <laughs> I get airlifted to Miami in time to save my leg. I mean, I just didn't know what was going to happen. So the first night I blew up the air mattress, put it under and the air mattress held air for about an hour. And then I was sleeping on gravel. And it was so loud because dogs were barking and horns were honking. Finally, that died down sometime after midnight. Two o'clock in the morning, voodoo drums started in the distance. And that went for a couple hours. Finally, that stopped. Then I was finally able to get some sleep. First night came and went, no problem. I slept on my back thinking that would be the easiest way to get up and run. If I, if I had to get up and run, <laughs> I'm on my back. Second night, same thing. The dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums. Finally, I'm getting some rest. And then I woke up because there was something on my leg. Oh, man. And I had no idea what it could possibly be. And I was scared to death at what it might be. And so I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes. And it was a chicken. There was a dang chicken on my leg. And I didn't know whether to be happy because it wasn't something worse or mad because it woke me up from the little bit of sleep that I was getting. I shoot it away. Third night came and went. No problem. Fourth night. Again, I'm sleeping on gravel. The dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums. Finally sleeping. But again, I woke up because it was something on my leg. And again, I was shaking. I was scared to death. And so again, I did not jerk. I like slowly lifted my head and slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. And again, I didn't know whether to be happy or mad because I was getting no sleep that whole week. And But the good news is we had chicken for dinner that night. So the fifth night came and went without incident. All was well. And I got to say... At first, I was bitter. I was mad at these guys. I thought, who do they think they are? Like, uh, yeah, I'm a different gender, but I am a human being. And I felt like I was kind of being treated as subhuman, right? And uh, I thought, gosh, I, I hope my sons would not treat a woman like this. Like, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't get it. And I was mad. And then I realized, you know, bitterness only hurts me. They have no idea I'm mad, Right. Right. And so it was only going to eat away at me. And I thought, oh, I'm working on love doesn't keep record of wrongs. And I went, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. We don't forget the things that happen to us. We don't forget. But the narrative changes. The tone of the story changes. So instead of, oh, these rotten guys that did this rotten thing to me, now it's just this funny thing that happened and I could literally sleep anywhere in the world and be perfectly fine. So it's that. Because with every story, we get to check, we get to determine the tone of it, right? right? And so that is love that doesn't keep record of wrongs. You change the narrative. 
wow thank god for chickens and uh not being <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, sure you got a nice uh music thing you can keep your room now that that has the voodoo drums and the dogs that barked and help you go to sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah i live in michigan and it can get real cold here but i still prefer to sleep outside <laughs> just kidding no i am in the warmth <laughs> and away from the snow it just is pretty but that's about it yeah i've seen in your bio there's a lot of things talking about uh like two opposite sides can get along together and that's something i think the world needs nowadays uh, we have people that think if you're on one side of the aisle you can't talk to someone on the other side of the aisle and i think that goes along with everything that you do because you say it on here but Republicans, Democrats, they can't talk to the same language with each other, but they're trying to do the same thing in weird ways. They try to do the same thing without saying it. They don't want to say it in public. And I like I think you have vaxxers and anti-vaxxers on there as well. It, it there's no evil there. It's it's a choice. And uh, how do you uh, approach people that are different than you and and just keep that calm? Yeah, well, I, I think you know, in what real love is, real love, uh, you just love people you realize that that's, that's your only job. All you have to do is love people. You don't have to fix them. There's no room for judgment. There's no room for discrimination. There's plenty of room for different opinions. And there's plenty of room for different cultures, different everything. And so when you really love the way you're supposed to love, you love yourself enough to allow yourself to be who you are created to be. And you love other people, you allow them to be who they're created to be. And we're not all the same. And no two people have walked in the same shoes. And, and we're all so unique and special. You know, I think about the Mona Lisa. If it ever went up for sale, I don't even know. Millions and millions of dollars, right? But it's because it's one of a kind. But so are you. We're all one of a kind. There's nobody that's ever been exactly like us. There will never be anybody exactly like us. We're unique and special. So each person is, and love recognizes that. When you when you love, you recognize that, that, that you haven't walked in those shoes and let people be who they wanna be. And different opinions are fine. That it's, it's fine, it's fine. It's, if everybody was like me, I'd probably be at war or unhappy or, bored i don't know what i'd be but it's all good that there's differences right but love takes away all those labels right uh when i was so, in Afghanistan, yeah I was in Afghanistan so, and i had a leader that was just at me all the time because we're button heads all the time about stuff and another guy came in and said why don't you just go have a coke that's what do you mean you have a coke he said just go sit down and have a coke and talk that's all it took was just to sit and talk and find out we wanted the same things. Just we're trying it different ways and going after each other. And, and we made it work. Yeah. It's amazing what happens, right? When you actually listen to each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We should just start telling people to do that. Just go sit down and have a Coke and talk. And the sad part is, is if most more people did that, there would probably be a lot less fighting in the world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It for sure. I mean, we're, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we're really, we're all in this together, right? And and we do, we want good. You know, the majority of people want good things to happen, but just have different opinions on how to get there. And different approaches, yeah. And I had a, my first job out of the military. I worked for a nonprofit and then 
there's a big divide in the nonprofit there. We had some veterans that worked there and then a lot of 20 something year old females that never served and had no idea about the military. They were just getting a paycheck and thinking they were doing things and social, uh, they were social justice warriors. One of them was supposed to be like my battle buddy that came in and she was supposed to show me the ropes and she just wanted me to listen to everything she said about how she wanted it. One day I said, let's just go get coffee and talk. And we spoke and she left there crying after talking to me because she finally listened to somebody. And she changed her perspective on all of us that were on the other side of the table, all the veterans. And she started actually being the person down the middle. And I think felt like that was my biggest victory at that job. Wow. Wow. That's huge. It's huge thing to learn. A, a big thing to know, right? Like my very first month was love is patient. And that's what love is patient is. You know, it's it's not patience. Like, you know, we're we don't get all upset if our son can't find his shoes and it's time to leave for school, right? You keep your cool. But love that is patient says that this moment is the most, impo most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past and what's in the future is yet to come. And I'll tell you, for me, to practice that kind of love, love that is fully present, fully present with whoever it is that you're with, uh, I had to practice and practice that because I thought I was the grandest multitasker of all time. Like I would win the trophy. I would wear the crown because I could think of a meeting that I had later that day, who had to go to soccer practice, what I needed to get from the grocery store and be fully engaged in conversation at the same time. And I learned quickly that it's not true. And, and things change when you are just fully engaged. And you love that way when you stop and you listen, that, which is exactly what you're talking about, because then you actually hear the words instead of assuming what somebody's going to say based on whatever label you've put on them or whoever you think they are. But you actually hear what they have to say. And uh, most of the time you find out we've got a whole lot more in common than not. But you hear a whole lot of things that you'd never hear if you're in a conversation and you're only half there. Exactly. Uh, in my current job, there's an old man that works there and he never listens to hear. He listens to speak. So I just wrote that on my board. Listen to hear, not to speak. And I had it on my board for about six months before he realized what I was trying to tell him. So why do you have that up there? So look in the mirror and then you can come back and ask me that question. And now, now he doesn't speak at all. So it's a lot better. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us use a lot of words we don't have to. <laughs> right. Yes. I just try so, my best to help people. <laughs> my question, I have like, um, what was your favorite one to, you know, we all, like you said, we all know the saying, love is patient, love is kind. Like you said, you hear it in weddings, you hear it on TV, you hear it everywhere. Everyone, I think, knows the saying. When you were going through it, what was your favorite, I don't want to say lesson, but what, which was your favorite one that you maybe before hadn't ever really sat and thought about? Well, all of them ended up being different than what I thought they were going to be. Not, not, I could not predict a one. I thought I knew, but no, I did not know. Uh, so I would say uh, one that had a huge impact on me was love is kind. You're kind. You're kind to people. We do kind things. We say kind things, right? Well, when I was working on love that is kind, I 
went to a place that I love to go, the Home for Sick Children. It's run by um, Mother Teresa's Order, the Sisters of Charity in Port-au-Prince. And I love to go to where the babies are, where there's just all these cribs. And I, and I pick a baby to just go hang with for the day to help feed and cuddle and change and whatever and bond with. I just love it. So I went there and I saw this baby in this pink sleeper that looked like a was just born. I mean, so young, so, so young. And I, I wandered over to that crib and just looked at this baby. And then as time went by, the baby's story unfolded. And so it was Voy in the pink donated sleeper. Christopher was his name and he was three weeks old. And standing at the end of the crib was his grandma, Natalie. And uh, Natalie's only child, Christopher's mom, died shortly after giving birth to Christopher on the dirt floor of their one-room home. And then Christopher was having a hard time taking a bottle. And Natalie thought it was because it wasn't his mother's milk, maybe, or something. And he just got more and more lethargic. And so she walked for miles to get to the sisters, to get help for Christopher, her only family, right? And so she walked and then was staying there with, with this precious baby boy who had oxygen going to his nose and IV in his arm. And their best guess was that there was a, a some sort of an obstruction that probably would be handled pretty easily in the US. But in Haiti, there aren't many doctors and there are fewer hospitals. And there's no money to get anything done. But because she was there, they made a phone call and a doctor was put on notice that they'd be coming with Christopher at some point during that day to try the surgery, try to see what they could figure out. Well, at one point in time, there was a, the uh, Christopher stopped breathing and we all stopped breathing. And then we realized there was a kink in this oxygen tube. And as soon as we straightened it out, he started breathing again which was such a relief. But then we realized he needed a portable oxygen tank to get to the hospital. It wasn't that far away, but in a city with 2 million people and infrastructure for 40,000, getting anywhere takes a long time. And so I called everybody I knew in Port-au-Prince to find a portable oxygen tank. Some people went to go look for one, could not find one. Lots of people didn't have any idea where to even look for one to even start. So we could not come up with a portable oxygen tank. So here's poor Natalie with her grandson having to decide what does she do? You know, without oxygen, Christopher is going to die. Without surgery, Christopher is going to die. What, what, what does she do? And so she figured surgery was really her only option. So they pulled a van up to the closest door and just in this flurry, one of the sisters took the oxygen off of his nose. Another one scooped him up in her arms, grabbing the IV bag, ran for the door. And I saw them just like in this blur of white habits. And then I turned around and Natalie was still there. And I'm like, Natalie, go, go. I figured she didn't know that she could go along. But then she pointed down at her feet and she had no shoes. And so I, she knew she couldn't get in the hospital without shoes. So I quick whipped off my sandals. I put them in one of her hands. I grabbed her by the arm, ran her out there, and she hopped in the van just as it was pulling away. And then I realized what love is kind is. So 
I'll never see Natalie again. I'll never get my sandals back. Love that is kind is no expectation love. It is doing kind things, being kind, showing kindness with zero expectation at receiving anything in return. You know, how many times do you hear somebody say, gosh, they didn't even say thank you. Or I went to their daughter's wedding. You know, where are they at mine? You know, or whatever. But when you really love, you want to show kindness. You want to do things for people. You want to be kind. But you have no expectation, zero expectation at getting anything in return. And I learned that day too. I mean, Natalie, we just bonded. She was so incredible. I think about her often. I love her. I adore her. I don't know what happened to Christopher. It breaks my heart to think about it. But what she gave me that day was so much more than a pair of sandals. And she didn't expect me to give her my sandals. She didn't expect anything from me. But she shared Christopher with me that day. She shared him with me. She didn't have to do that. And she showed me, she taught me what love is kind is. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I'm just sitting here. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I was hoping Sam didn't start crying up there. <laughs> no, I know. That's I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, oh, she keeps going. I'm going to start crying soon. <laughs> that's just, it's just amazing. It's an amazing journey, amazing story. And uh, Love Is came out a year ago now, and I'm sure it's doing really well. Do you have another one coming in the near future, or are you thinking about another one? Yes. Yeah, I'm writing Love Is for Kids. Oh. I, I, I think the, the earlier you can learn real love, uh, the better your life is going to be. Definitely. Oh, that's awesome. And where can someone find most, uh, uh, get in contact with you or all of your work? Yeah, well, Kim Sorrell, my last name is obnoxious. It has way too many letters. There's two R's, <laughs> two E's, two L's. So it's hard to remember. S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. KimSorrell.com is my website. But you can get there through uh, loveis.info. Love is, the name of the book is Love Is. So loveis.info. Um, I'm all over social media. Um, my book is available everywhere. It's available at brick and mortar stores, it's available online on Amazon, everywhere. It's coming out uh, on Audible, nice. which I love because I love Audible. <laughs> so it's coming out mid December on Audible. And so, and it's type in love is, chances are I'm going to show up. Awesome. And Kim, if, if you can give someone that's going through like the, their, regurgitating the past and stuff like that, and they don't know how to find that, that happy medium of love, what advice would you give them? I would say that uh, figure out what real love is and, and realize it's your only job. Just, just love, just love. Doesn't mean you have to like everybody. Doesn't mean you gotta go have coffee with everybody. You know, there's personalities that aren't gonna go together, right? But you can love people anyway and be loved to them and, and show love. And sometimes you got to walk away. If you're in a bad situation, if you're getting hit, if you're being abused in any way, you got to walk away. And to stay is not love. And to walk away is love. Because when you stay, you're enabling that person to continue in that behavior. You're not, you're not helping them to change in any way. And that's not love. You need to walk away. So keeping that in mind and, and keep in mind how special you are 
that you have such great value, that you're the only you. You are the only you. You are unique and wonderful. And we can be so hard on ourselves. But we're created the way we're created. Embrace it. Embrace it and enjoy the ride. And and just figure out a way to come to that place of love. And uh, life is just that much easier. Awesome. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for taking some of your time to hang out with us on the Misfit Nation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 